listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 355. My name's Dave this week, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our Scandinavian journey, and I don't mean with The Last Kingdom. We're back with the Norwegian Netflix fantasy series Ragnarok. Doesn't mean, however, that I'm not still loving Last Kingdom. I'm, I'm in season four, just started it. Okay. And, uh, the, you know, the one thing I do notice he doesn't seem to have aged much. I was looking at an article <laughs> that talks about what time period each season covers. And, you know, I, I don't want to get into comparing it to Vikings. I mean, how can you not compare it? But I'm just going to say they're both, they're both great. Um, if you watch them at the same time, it's really difficult. I mean, I would never recommend doing that. Uh, but if you would, you, you, it's going to be very difficult for you to keep st- – keep straight what's going on in which show. So. Yeah, exactly. And I will say in Vikings, they really did do a good job of aging Ragnar. Uh, Lagertha, not so much, though. I'm not going to complain about that one. So, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, still loving that. Um, you know, in, in terms yeah, of... Yeah, he does not have the uh, the body nor anything of, of the person uh, for all the years that have passed. And you see... Um, uh, a, a Brita, right? They definitely have aged her, um, as well as uh, you know Aethelwith. Yeah, sure, right. So, so the female characters uh, get aged up pretty well, but the uh, but but Uhtred, man, he's still uh, jumping around like he was in uh, in season one. Yeah, he's still rocking the uh, shirtless, uh, taking a bath in the creek, kind of body so uh anyway um in terms of tv news uh the hundred returned for season seven last week i don't know if you caught the first episode i didn't but now i can yeah um because i have cw on my cable this year so okay well we'll have to talk about that um it's one of those shows that i love the characters i'm fully invested but i'm not ready to use the term jump the shark because I don't think that's what they're doing, but you, you get up to a point where you're starting to run out of good ideas. I think so. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I don't want to judge them on one episode. Um, well, and because uh, you, you, some of these shows, like that's what I'm wondering about impulse. Like, is it because of the source material, right? Is it because, you know, they, you have, you're following the source material up to a point and, and the show is really tight because you're following this, novel or whatever that was the author spent years and years creating and then once you get done with that now all of a sudden you're back to oh we have to come up with a whole story in like a week you know so like the 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 game of thrones factor yeah exactly so now the other show that returns this week will be agents of shield and i have managed to see the premiere already so i i We'll just say I think everybody will be happy with the season seven, which is the last season for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., with the season seven premiere. And I'll just leave it at that. So that comes back this week. You know, we do want to thank our Patreon. Will they, will they tell me what happened before? Because I have absolutely no idea. I've caught up. I have no clue what happened. Well, I, like, do they have something to remind us of? Well, I would just I'm say like that previously on Agents of Shield, I, I think they do. But I would just tell you this, and anybody else that's got the same same worries that Wayne has, is that at the end of season six, we get that shot of the Empire State Building, but we also know that 
it has to be in the 1930s because of, uh, I, I guess it's still under construction or, or something like that. So we do know that. So we get some clarity regarding the timeline and uh, we'll stop spoiling at this point. Okay. So uh, now, as I was saying, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. And I always say you can go to the website and the Patreon link is on the right side of the page. But if you do go to the website, you'll notice it looks different. I got an email from Podbean, which is our uh, podcast host company, that said, you know, the template that you're using, and, you know, again, we're just using a, a template. We've got some good choices from Podbean, but. The template that you're using is not mobile phone friendly, so we suggest you changing over to, you know, one of the other ones. So, all right, so I go in and I figured, all right, I'll take a look at what they've got, and I don't really like the ones that they had available. So when I go to switch back to our usual, it's not there. It's no longer an option. (laughs) So, you know, I email their... uh, you know, their help desk and they're very responsive. They uh, yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. Once you leave it, you can't go back. I'm like, all right, whatever. So I did find one that's similar to ours. The color scheme's a little different, but I'm, I'm happy enough with it. Uh, the one thing that I haven't been able to figure out yet is how to get the, uh, speak pipe tab on the website. So at this point, if you want to send us a feedback the way Fred does an audio feedback, that is, you're going to have to record your own and send it as an attachment. There is no speak pipe tab, but I think in 2020, I think most people know how to record a MP3 clip on their yeah. computer. Oh man. Like we get so much feedback from the speak pipe tab, uh, dude. Like, yeah. What are we going to do now? I know. I think the last one we got was from Elena, but, uh, anyway uh look in the what we're watching i think you know i'm still watching the last kingdom and you know i i have been watching billions that's back on showtime i've mentioned that before and and of course agents of shield the hundred is back so uh anything in particular you want to bring up well i do want to bring up something to warn people not to watch it okay that would be and unfortunately, it's also an HBO show, but it is the HBO show Run. I was wondering about should that. should run. Okay. Don't watch it. It sucks. I don't know. I mean, there's some good parts to it. The actor, the actors are, are great, but there's just two people who are so unbelievably amoral, and I, I think the show wants you to sympathize with them, but I really, really hate them. And that could be just me. I understand that. But, you know, I saw like the trailers for it on HBO and it kind of looked good. I didn't know anything about it. I started watching like, eh, I'm not super impressed. And the, the more I watched, the, the less I got. And there were some good moments like here or there. But for the most part, I just, you know, if you just do not like the main characters at all, it makes it really tough to enjoy a show. Well, now, that being said, I still have one more episode to go. I haven't watched. I think last night was the last episode. Am I going to watch it? Yeah. You know, I'm, I've watched five of six. I might as well watch episode six. But yeah, don't just don't start. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the character being amoral, but uh, the other key element is that you just don't like them because there have been plenty of shows sure. that the central figure, Walter White, comes to mind in Breaking Bad it's difficult to say he's not amoral, but you like him. You root for him 
even though he's the bad guy. You root for the FBI to fail. And yes, that's again a testament to good writing and, and character development, but exactly. So, uh, yeah, well, I'll take Whereas in this one. I'm just like, just catch them, put them in jail, possibly shoot them, but you know, like, just uh, it was just so yeah, I, I don't think I can really go into much detail without spoiling it, uh, but. You know, uh, especially the, the, the female character, I can't remember the actress's name or anything, but, you know, she just basically does everything only for her own self-interest. And, and they try to make it out that she, basically, the premise is, I can say this much. So she's in a, like a Target parking lot. She gets a text that says, run. So she texts back, run. And then she immediately drops her life. I, I, I can't remember where she is. And travels to New York to get on a train, this certain train at Grand Central Station, where her boyfriend from college, who was the guy who texted her run in the first place, uh, they get on the train together and they travel across the country together. And the idea is, by the time they get to, to the west, co- excuse me, the west coast, is then whether they determine to stay with each other or whether to end it right there. Oh, okay. You said train so platform. I was afraid she was going to look across and see a, another woman that looks exactly like her. You know, if if that had happened, I could maybe at least give the show a little bit. But yeah, so so you know, the, the show obviously desperately wants us to, you know, kind of sympathize with these characters at least a little bit. But I just found it almost impossible to, and I was trying to. I was looking for, and she has this big teary speech at one point where she talks about how when you become a mother, you, you give away your whole life to your kids and you become nothing. And I'm like, okay, I get that, but that's not like something that was forced upon you. That's a decision you made. And now you're like ducking out of that decision, which is kind of like both of these people. Everything is about trying to avoid you know, consequences for what they've, the choices they've made in their lives, you know? Um, and I know I'm sounding old fashioned saying that and everything, and I'm not really trying to, but just, you know, I mean, and I get, it. I'm not a funny daddy, but I'm like, you know, there's like a certain level of, of where you have to own up for what you've done. And you, you know, you can't just like, you got kids just to say, well, F it. I'm taking off, you know, kids, good luck. Okay, boomer. I think I, I, I feel better. <laughs> I don't get to say that very often, you know. That, that, yeah. that felt. All right. Well, anyway, let's get to uh, Ragnarok, uh, episode five of season one. A more pronounceable title this week: Atomic Number Forty Eight. Yes. It's been a while, yeah. but now finally we get one right. Written by Christian Garnst, Miller Harris, directed by Yannick Johansson, and the two of them worked together on episode one hundred four. Before we get into the episode discussion, I got two basic questions I want to throw out there. Now, okay. one, what do the giants, aka the Utils, want? I mean, do they just simply want to live and be left alone, sort of worshipped by the community, but not really? And number two, who the hell buys Fiora's clothes? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean. Fjord's, that, that tracksuit has got to go. There, That is doing nothing for uh, Fjord at all. Um, you know, like, I haven't really, like, his clothes it just seem to be kind of standard duty rich kid clothes. Um, 
and, until now. And then, well, I mean, obviously it looks like a very expensive tracksuit, but also very horridly ugly. And I think I wrote my notes that this is what you wear when you're, uh, when you're trying to impress a girl, but you just actually want to look like a dick. Yeah. I mean, Navy black, fine. Red. Uh, anyway, but, uh, yeah. and of course, well, you know, I just think going out in public in a tracksuit, like when you're not working out, it's just something that to me should not be done. Well, this is a family that's been around for 3000 years. So maybe he still thinks he's in the 1980s because <laughs> that was cool in the eighties. I mean, you yeah. uh, obviously were maybe a little too young to even remember. I mean, I know you were 10, 15, whatever, but, uh, uh this formative years there. Yeah, people did wear track suits, and, and uh, it was seen as you know semi-acceptable at that point. But uh, there are so many great scenes, though, in this episode. As, as we get a look inside the Eudel Fortress, which is starting to crumble a little bit, it, it's showing some weaknesses as they fight internally. The kids are eating dinner. Mom's getting ready to run with her women's group, and Vidar's putting on his assassin's outfit because he's going to go kill Magna. Ron protests, and he slugs her, and the next thing you know, they're drawing knives on each other, which, okay. And the kids are just sitting there eating dinner like this is normal behavior from on dad. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why they have the knives are so easily accessible in that wood log there, you know, because this is a family that definitely hashes out their differences uh, via the knife fight. Yeah, and, you know, one of the questions Fred brings up in his feedback is who's in charge in this family. And that's one of the things I love because I think we assumed at the beginning it was Vidar. At this point, I'd have him at the bottom of the rung. At the, you know, I mean, I, I can see everybody else being a leader as opposed to him, but does he get to make the final call because he's the man? I mean, Ron, <laughs> I think would protest that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and it, um, I mean, really here we see Saxa kind of seem, it seems like she's the one kind of calling the shots here, right? Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and so, Fior, of course, is the voice of reason. He's got to talk his father down from killing Magna because he said it would expose us, jeopardize our standing in the community. Vidar reminds him, though, we were the first gods. And I love Fior's response. And now you're driving a fucking Volvo. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, just, yeah I mean, there's not much humor in Ragnarok, but that was just such a great yeah. retort. And because of the meaning that's embedded within it. Yeah. I mean, I love the Volvo reference. I mean, how cool is that? But, you know, he really does force his father to think before he goes out and does something that he's going to regret later. So again, who's in charge in the Udall family? Yeah. So who knows? I mean, it's they has to take the ax away. Saxa enters the room. So are we killing him or what? So clearly she agrees with her father. Mm-hmm. The mother and Fjord agree with each other. So we've got the two, two split and you know we've got of course magna in the background trying to cope with everything else that's going on around him so it, it seems like everything's falling apart at the Udal household and we've only got one episode to go beyond this one so right well it, things are 
yes, seem to fall apart a little bit, but not nearly as much as it looks like they're falling apart for Magna, though. Yeah, and you know, we'll talk about that in a few minutes because where Fior has a more measured approach to proceeding with everything that's going on, Magna's just ready to jump right in, consequences be damned. And, you know, we get that great scene with his mother who's trying to say, look, I've got a job. I have to have, you know, a means to support my family. And you're putting that in jeopardy. So, yeah. And she, you know, kind of nails it with, I mean, with, which is the, you know, I, I guess the, the sticking point for the environmental movement. She's like, you know, I, I just can't afford to care about the environment. You know? Right. And right. And of course, that is really a contemporary thought that many people have to consider as much as they would like to do the right thing, whether it's about the environment or life with the coronavirus or whatever, that, that you know, these are really difficult moral and ethical decisions that, you know, are not as easy as some people make them out. To well, yeah, because if you're part of the working class, it's. You, you don't you don't have the luxury of being able to make a choice. You you can't afford an electric car, so it's not an option, right? right. You can't afford to buy organic food because it's just not an option economically, you know? Right. And, and, of course, then Saxa confronts her brother about the earring, uh, the risk he takes bringing Gree to the office and allowing her to enter and, and see what's in there. What is happening to you? She asks him. And of course, on the one hand, we know he's not turning human and I'm making air quotes, but we do have to start acknowledging the fact that maybe he really does care for Gree. And this is not just simply, you know, a, a calculated approach to keeping the Udall family in power, that he is starting to feel something for her. Or is he just that good <laughs> that uh, I'm falling for? Well, it? right. Well, he tells Saxa, you know, I love her. And there's really no reason for him to say that unless he's saying it in earnest. But you just have to wonder, like, if you've been around for 3,000 years, like, is this girl really all, you know, I mean, she's, she seems very nice, but, uh, you know, I, I think she would probably, you know, I, I just can't imagine that, that, uh, someone after 3000 years would be head over heels, may, probably in love with anyone. Right. Well, you know, when you start thinking about the time frame we're talking about, is it possible he's just tired of life as a giant tired of everything that goes along with it that he has fallen for her he says i'm in love with her it's hard to believe that in three thousand years this is the first time he's thought he was in love with a girl sure so um, especially apparently from the last kingdom in vikings it appears that every female was super hot back then so well absolutely no question and uh our boys on i think number six for me at this point as we are into (laughs) season four but uh you know he he goes to her house and there's that uncomfortable scene where her parents come into the kitchen especially with her father when he comes back the second time is he getting pills for his illness Uh, i didn't really notice i don't know 
Right. But but clearly everybody's uncomfortable and everybody understands you know I I guess the import of what this means that his daughter is dating the son of the man that essentially has caused my illness yeah. and even though she says I'm not afraid he's going to die, you know she is. Yeah. Well, and you'd think there would be some kind of rule in Green's house, like you can date pretty much whoever you want, um, except for the uh, son of the people who are killing me. Yeah. Can we, I mean, can we make really. that a rule? <laughs> yeah. Um, now, it's easy to hate some people in this show, and I don't hate Fjord, and I don't hate Sax. I, I really like their character. Uh, I'm not crazy about Fiore's posse. Oh, God. And yeah, <laughs> they're participating in a little axe throwing. And while we don't see his buddy throw the axe because Saxa returns and throws them all out, did you notice what Lawrence does? Uh, stealing the beer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Classic move. Yeah. Yeah. Cla- so. I don't know if he grabbed any snacks before that, but he he gets a, gets a few beers. But she's more concerned that he's becoming a little human being. Mm-hmm. And while I don't think any of us think he's actually turning into a human, as we said before, and then she starts beating the crap out of him. Right. And, and then knife fight. Right. And okay, while it's not on par with a Marvel Universe or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., action sequence it was still pretty cool yeah. particularly with the sound effects the way they uh inserted them well that that and, fight just escalated so quickly you know it's like yes. one minute they're just kind of like throwing each other around and the next thing they both they're grabbing knives so again right easy access wood log i mean obviously it's there for a reason Right, and message to parents, your children will imitate what they see you do. <laughs> right. Well, you know, so, it's, it's so funny because this is actually what I've always wondered about, like West Side Story, is like in that the fight scene, like how it goes from just a fist fight to all of a sudden people pulling knives out, you know, like, and I guess if you got it right there, you know, that's, that, you know, that, that you're, you're going to use it. Right. A little argument yeah, for gun right. control there, too. <laughs> right. And, and then she's holding him down with a knife to his throat. You're breaking up with her. And of course, the scene when he goes reluctantly to break up with her, on the one hand, he's let off the hook because she breaks up with him. And I, I can't get a really good read on how she feels about this relationship. I mean, on the one hand, she's very standoffish. Is she forcing him to come to her playing hard to get okay maybe does she realize that this is really never going to go anywhere let's end it now um she doesn't seem like the type of girl that wants to just have a summer fling there's a a liz fair song i believe sums it up well but i won't say it but those of you who are fans of liz fair know i mean okay (laughs) Is it uh, is there a title or a yeah. lyric or it's called just, fucking uh, run? Oh, okay. <laughs> and and I mean, she just doesn't seem that type, um, right? You know, even though oh, she's definitely he not. Has, I mean, this is the right. This is the first time she's ever had sex ever. So you know, she's she's definitely not manipulating him. I don't think. Right, and whether she uses him 
to get that monkey off her back, so to speak, after being teased by the other girls, you know, maybe I think she does like him. I mean, she says she, you know, is falling in love with him earlier, but uh, you know, who, who knows whether that's true. But then again, we go back to the Udals. There's Vidar sitting on the couch watching what looks like an American sitcom eating candy. Ron's baking brownies for the faculty lounge. Good for her. Yeah. Doesn't happen often enough. Sure. Sax is dumbfounded, rips his headphones off because we're facing our greatest threat in a thousand years and she's in there baking a cake. <laughs> and he has no clue what Gree has actually seen. So, you know, at this point, Sax is kind of waking her father up and you know i mean where where's this family gonna go and then finally that missing picture in the photo album i mean did i miss who takes that picture does um, Gree take it well if you missed it i missed it too okay. i don't recall Gree taking any picture but it has been two weeks ago um yeah but i don't i don't recall that happening uh i think we are i i just kind of felt like i don't know i don't know i, I at first i thought that maybe Fior had had taken the picture out, but I don't know why I thought that. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It it might have. I, I'm pretty. I'm like almost ninety nine percent sure that Gree did not take anything out because she really didn't have time. A, she was just looking through it when she got you know caught in there. One of the Udals, I would say, uh, took that picture out, but why? We don't know. And. While we're talking about the pictures, you know, Vidar spends a lot of time looking at that picture of Fior in a, you know, clearly looked like a 19th century military outfit. So I was just wondering what the significance was of, of that. Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, certainly uh, post-Napoleonic, but, you know, maybe by only a few decades. Uh, now, you know, we've mentioned Magna, the opening scene of the episode, we get that that text overprint about a Cirrus, who's a recurring figure in Norse myths who could influence forces that affect the world. Well, you know, we've got clarity on who the Udals are. We know who Magna is. Who's the Cirrus? Um, I mean, well, I'm pretty sure it's what was Iman? Is that the girl's name? Okay, and that's right. And that's what I was wondering. She certainly seems to be inserting herself into the story, especially you know at the athletic field when she sits down with with Magna. So yeah, okay, that that's the sense I was getting, and we don't get a lot out of her other than recognition that now. Sax is faking it. She knows how to throw, but uh, you know, you don't have to be a serious to know that. Well, right, but it 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 does suggest that she knows a little bit about what's going on. You know, sure, right. And while we see that text over print, the Udals are conducting some sort of dark ceremony around a fire while Magnus trying to explain to his befuddled mother why he's covered in blood and the Udall's dog is dead. I, I guess at this point, because we have question what mom knows, she's clueless. Yeah. She doesn't have Not a clue. an inkling right. of any of this. So when he goes home, 
and tells her essentially the truth on a what the hell's he thinking and b what's she thinking and i guess on the one hand she she does what a good mother should do which is get help for her child who clearly is having some sort of a break from reality yeah ironically of course he isn't right right well that's you know you know you look at this and you you might be thinking well why does she not back up her kid better because you know he's he's got kind of a point like it's especially from his point of view that his mother and eric have both you know betrayed him but also they did only what any concerned adult would do for someone that they think is having trouble right so yeah. you know we can't really condemn uh her too much um we certainly because we see it from Manya's uh, point of view, and we know that the things that the crazy things he's saying are not crazy but true. But in in reality, if someone were saying things like that, you'd think they're crazy, or under the influence of drugs, which is what's brought up sure. in, in that uh, intervention that they hold at the school. And you know. The officer mentions the seriousness of the crime and juvenile detention as a result. And I'm thinking, like, he's freaking Thor. How are you going to hold him in a juvie center? Right. And on, on the other hand, she knows about the hammer thrown through Vidar's car window. Oh, I didn't intend to do that. Yeah. Yes, it's our hammer. Yes, I did it, but I didn't intend to. Right. Uh, let me let me explain. No, he doesn't. But yeah. <laughs> all right, exactly. The explanation would just you know make it even worse for him, right? Like, yeah. And you know he's piecing together the puzzle that he's a god, giants exist, and they control the town. And he wants everyone who dreams of being special to know that in reality it's a nightmare. Okay. Yes, it is. And you telling people's not going to help but who who does he have to confide in i mean at, at this point he knows who saxa is saxa knows who he is and and again we get that great scene that we'll talk about in a second at the athletic field but really i mean i mean they set him up with the school psychologist but even though he tries to tell some version of the truth he's smart enough to realize that that's yeah. going to be counterproductive to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you, you raise a good point. Like, who does he have to confide in? I mean, Isolde was his good friend, and she died. And Grease is his good friend, but she's sleeping with the enemy. The only person who really shows him like some sympathy here, I guess Eric does a little bit, but really is his brother, Lawrence. Yeah, who's like, right. I'm going to bring him some food. And that's like the only time I felt in this whole episode that someone was like doing something nice for Manya. Yeah. And don't you feel they're kind of wasting his character at this point? Well, yeah. I mean, he was, you know, barely in this at all. Like really, he, he just had, like you said, the one scene where he's hanging out and drinking and smoking at the, at the Udall place and he steals the beers. And then he has a funny line when they're at dinner. Uh, because he's basically saying, if this is going to be a thing, I can't deal with it. And then they just ignore him and they don't respond at all. He's just like, all right, good talk, you know, essentially. And then 
uh, brings his brother some food. So, so yeah, I mean, this is obviously a character who early on um, had a lot to do and, and as of late has not. And I agree with you, like they're wasting who is probably the, the most dynamic character in the, in, in the, the uh, series, I think so far. Yeah. And we were pretty convinced that he was going to turn out to be Loki. I'm still pretty sure. While, he will. Yeah. And, and right. While that's still in play, it, it seems to be taking a little longer than I think most of us expected. Um, you know, you mentioned Eric and his mother betraying him and, and or, or that's the way he perceives it. On the other hand, I think we both agree that's what a responsible adult should do. I mean, Eric has given him Isolt's laptop. He tells him, I found her phone. I found this vial. Here you go. Why don't you get that tested? Uh, try to get into her phone. So, you know, he's, you know, I don't want to say he's pandering to uh, Magna because on the one hand, I think he feels this will help Magna maybe get over the loss of a solda. I mean, do you really feel like he thinks there's going to be something in this water that's going to make a difference and things will change in the community? I, I, I just think he feels like this will give Magna something to do to get his mind off everything else. And of course it has the opposite effect, but right. Well, I, I always feel like, like Eric is having Manya do what, like why, why is Manya so much more worried about his daughter's death than he is, you know, like, and this kind of goes back to when, you know, episode two, I guess it was episode two, maybe three. I just kind of think, you know, like, it just seems like, not that he should be, like, throwing himself on the ground and tearing his hair out every scene, but I'm just like, his only child just died. I feel like he should be a little bit more upset, you know? Um, so, I don't know if that's just not, you know, it's just maybe just because he's not in a lot of scenes and they don't, you know, want to waste scenes with him because they're using him to move the plot along, so they don't want to, you know waste time having him you know just tearing his hair out and everything but um but now i'm starting to think i don't know because you know like there's just certain things here that yeah that yes eric is helping kind of advance the plot and and getting uh providing impetus for manya to to investigate and to go down this path but it also seems like you know these are things that maybe you know like he should be doing and like if if he her phone like suddenly worked. Like, wouldn't he be the one who should like? Well, I guess he couldn't. He didn't know her password though. Right. And so, all right. I take back everything I just said over the last well, minute. <laughs> well, yeah, but we also had that scene from a few episodes back when he shows up to teach class the day after she dies. So, you know, maybe we accept that he's just the kind of person that that this is the way he copes. But yeah, in terms of the phone, like you said, he he says, I'm not very good with this sort of thing. Maybe you can figure out how to get into her phone. And of course, the second password he tries, which is Saxa, is, uh, you know, his his ticket in. But you know, we mentioned that great scene at the athletic field in the gym class when Saxa's awkwardly trying to throw the javelin. And finally, I guess the PE teacher says, all right, that's enough. Pack up before she even gets a chance to throw. And that's where Iman has come and sit, sat next to Magna 
and said, I think she's faking it. I'm sure she knows how to throw. And more importantly, tells him, we need to help change things in town. And of course, I agree with you. I think she is going to turn out to be the seeress that's mentioned in the opening scene. And I would like to think her impact is going to be a lot greater in next week's episode and and I assume season two. But after she leaves and Saxa comes and sits down and they have that little confrontation and he asks her why she pretended. So I don't frighten little humans. And just that, that challenge that they're both throwing out there. And of course, she's much more confident in her abilities than he is because his are still so new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she throws him into the back of that little dugout and then chucks the spear a couple inches from his head, send a message. Oh, so I do know how to throw. <laughs> but, you know, that she's got 3,000 years of experience. He's got 3,000 minutes or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't do the math. But. <laughs> yeah uh well you know exactly that um you know well and and that's kind of like i i I didn't know when to bring this up but like i guess the big thing that bothered me about this episode overall i liked it but you kind of nailed it right there was manya is just last episode i was so excited because you know talking about like like in spider-man and he's finally realizing his powers and now he's going to start using them and basically, this whole time, it just goes back to him running around trying to, you know, with a cell phone and a laptop and things like that. And, you know, like, hey, come on, man. Like, why why are you dialing back after you introduced him to us? We He's Thor. He's got these powers. He killed a, a hellhound. And now, all of a sudden, ah, he's just back to being regular mania, you know? Right. And then when he meets with Gree about the paper that – you know, they've got to turn in shortly. And he says, we've got to redo it because they're watching me and watching their relationship disintegrate is, is kind of painful to watch because, you know, they were becoming friends. She didn't feel that way about him, the, the way he feels about her, but, but still they, they do seem to care about each other and that's just falling apart because he feels she's just another one that has betrayed him. Sure. And, and she really doesn't know what to make of any of it because of course she doesn't know that, that he's Thor. And then Magna runs into the old woman, asks why she chose him and tells her choose somebody else and just walks away. And, I, I think we all know that it doesn't work that way, young man. Yeah. Well, and, and she kind of stands in for the audience now because she's like, you can do anything. And we're like saying the same thing. Like, yeah, you can do anything, man. Come on, do it. And then he's like, I can't do anything. Or, or you, you can do everything, she says. And he's like, I can't do anything. And it's just like, ah, come on, dude. You know, you're freaking Thor, man. Like, light this shit up. You know, like, get go get your hammer throw it at people bring down thunder come on you're the thunderer man like let's use this shit <laughs> well right and then once he gets into Isolde's phone and sees the pictures we know immediately where he's gonna go were you disappointed when we find out what's actually <laughs> behind the door 
Well, you know, especially after seeing Dark, and you know, obviously the the comparisons here with Dark are impossible to miss. And then they oh, open- I feel like they were mocking us, you know. Yeah, I know. So oh, you want season three? Yeah. You're gonna have to wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I, I, mean, I was, I guess it was kind of exactly what we expect, but actually, it wasn't because they. I don't know. Yeah. See, I thought it was going to be more along ancient gods right, right, right. and giants, that sort of thing, as opposed to just plain old 55-gallon drums yeah. of industrial waste. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. So it, it was probably just like, eh, ho-hum, you know. Like, while it's a very dramatic scene, they play up the drama of it, you know, especially if you've seen Dark, you're just like, <laughs> all right, whatever. <laughs> Right, it's like they took the dark camera shots and just uh, changed the color they, hue. They literally, the, I think they might have done that. And, uh, you know, give us the Indiana Jones image of hundreds of barrels of presumably toxic waste, but, um, you know, that's okay. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to bring up, though, before we get to the feedback? Well, just okay. that, that the the radio guy at the end was kind of a funny little announcement because, you know, well, I guess not funny, ironic, I should say. Because we see the the water, you know, the, the the barrels of waste that are leaking, and then the water taking the stuff that's leaking out and it going directly into the water supply, and then we hear the radio announcer at the end saying, "You know, make sh- you know, don't worry about the ice melting. You know, go out and uh, enjoy the hot weather and drink some water." So, the irony there. All right, well, why don't we take a listen to the feedback this week? And we got one more than just Fred. I mean, we did hear from Fred, and we'll get to his audio feedback in a second. But who'd we hear from via email? We heard from Krista this week. And Krista says, hi, Dave and Wayne. I really enjoy listening to your podcast, but I must admit, I haven't listened to your recent one since I haven't watched the shows you're talking about yet. That said, I did just get done watching Haunting of Hill House and your accompanying podcast. I am currently watching Dark, and so I'm listening to your rewatch of that as well. With the stay-at-home orders, I'm having a little bit more time to watch TV. Preach it, Krista. (laughs) Um, I'm writing about the Hulu FX show Devs. Now, I don't know if either of you have watched it, but you need to. And do a podcast on it, exclamation point. I think it was Dave that said during Haunting of Hill House that there isn't a lot of hard sci-fi out there which is true, well, Des fits that bill pretty good. From what I understand, it will only be this one season, eight episodes. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I can't imagine that you haven't heard of it, but just in case. There's so much to talk about, and I think it would make a great podcast. There are a few out there, but no one does it as well as you guys. Oh, thank you, Krista. Um, I hope you're both well during these crazy times. Thanks for all you do. Krista. All right. So uh, I have seen Dev's. You have not, right? I have not, but I do have it like set up, I, you know, like made it in, in my to-do list for Hulu. Okay. So. And I would just say to Krista, you know, and, and her request that we cover it as a podcast, I agree with you. It's, it's one of those shows that I think would be perfect for sci-fi TV rewatch and at only eight episodes, it's eminently doable Uh, obviously we've got dark on the horizon but you know beyond dark we don't really have much so yeah i I think it's reasonable to say you and i'll you know think on that one a bit sure 
Yep. So. Um, you know, it, it's a show that I hadn't heard of before you brought it up. And, but I keep, the more and more I read, uh, uh, like out there in sci-fi TV, you know, stuff out there, uh, the more devs keeps coming up as like this absolute must see show. Uh, plus Nick Offerman is awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll, I'll make that my, the next thing that I watch. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we hear what Fred's got for us this week and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the Norwegian series Ragnarok Season 1, Episode 5. Well, after this episode, it becomes clear to me why these U2 family have this set of knives in the middle of their living room. They need it all the time. We slowly get some more information about this Utul family, as we all expected. They are indeed giants, and they are quite old, because Ren is saying to Vidar, she says to him, you had 3000 years of time to say it with words instead of fighting. And we also can conclude that when they take human forms, they look always the same. So in 1899, they look the same as now. Fjord is warning Vidar that if he goes and kills Magne, it will become clear that they have to do something with it because Magne killed their dog. And he says there are other possibilities these days as prisons, psychiatric wards, etc, etc. And also says, do you want to move again? So our assumption that they have to move now and then because it gets too conspicuous that they don't age could be true. Apart from things getting clearer in the U-Tool family, some things are getting unclearer. For instance, who has the most power? The show nicely shifts the power through the episodes from, I think, Vidar to Ren. Then you think Fjord is actually the boss. And if you see this episode, you really have the idea that Sexa is the one that is steering the family. If you see how she's able to send all Fjord's classmates out, including Loritz, how she is addressing, for instance, Vidor, perhaps she is the one that is most truthful to the old ways, and the other ones are slowly shifting to human habits. I also still have some problems to relate the age of these giants to their human age, and what I don't understand is, for instance, that it now proves that Vidar is 3,000 years old. Fjord says to Vidar in a previous episode, in 1967, the two of you, so Ren and Vidar, were children, so they were not allowed to decide on the council or something like that. What this episode makes extra clear is that the whole town is indeed in the pockets of this Utul family. Especially if you see the meeting at the school with Eric and the psychiatrist and the police officer, etc. All against Magna. And even his mother is dependent on the U-Tool salary. But I have the impression that these U-Tools do care for each other. Or at least try to prevent that the other does something stupid. Like Saxa towards um, her father, uh, Vidar and uh, Ren towards Vidar, and Fjord towards Vidar, and also Saxa towards Fjord, concerning Gri. 
I actually wonder if they really are family. I mean, as giants. So in their human form, they are father, mother and two kids. But if you see the power struggles here, I really wonder if they are not more or less equals. And then the question is, what is the family relationship? Is he really there? And what is a kind of unexpected, it seems that Fjord really cares about Gree. And it's not just another womanizer thing of him. Of course, we all want to know what is going to happen now, now Gree broke up with him. Being a superhero is not something Magnum wants, and actually he finds it a burden. And Wenche tries to convince him, but it doesn't work. I wonder whether the barrels with toxic waste will do the trick. By the way, we still don't know what they are producing there at Utool Industries. I assume that Gree took a photograph out of the Utool family album, the one with 1899 on it. So what is she going to do with it? And on the other hand, what is Vidar going to do now he discovered that one of the pictures is gone? Another question is, what is there in the cupboard? Is that human remains or what? Or mummies? Or what is it? Of course, I love the scenes where Magna is punching through the roof of his room. And the scene where Saxa is throwing Magna and is throwing the spear. Very cool scenes. A little nitpick there. There is nothing said by his mother about the leaking roof and how that happened. And I'm slowly getting annoyed why he doesn't show his powers, for instance, to his mother. I also find that a contradiction in his character, because he is very honest in everything. He even tells in a group on the mountain that he loves Gree. Uh, he tells his mother that he drank too much at the dinner at Jutelheim, etc. But he doesn't tell anything about his powers. did say something, but people didn't believe in, but he could do that with more force. Or just prove it and show it. Okay, that was all for now. I'm happy that I finished this audio feedback. Because now I can watch the season 1 finale. Very curious what's going to happen. Greets, Fred from the Netherlands. Um, I mean, that whole idea about moving periodically because they don't age. I think we we talked about that uh, a few weeks back when I brought up Twilight. And... uh, (laughs) <laughs> sorry but uh yeah i mean you figured they have to there, there's just simply no way around it right exactly you, you can't you can't stay in one place for any length of time because people ultimately are going to be you know most people like say you look like you did in high school as a compliment but in your case fewer yeah, right. it's been 30 years dude it's not a compliment right and, you know, we talked about Fred's question about who holds the power seat in the family, but his question about whether or not they really care for each other, that's pretty fascinating because after 3,000 years, you wonder whether it's simply more of a tolerating each other that <laughs> we need each other, that we're inextricably bound together somehow you know that's not necessarily been explained i'm just guessing that but i don't know if they really care for each other i mean certainly not in the traditional sense yeah but i think they they look out for each other they've got each other's backs you know if if this you know quarantine during this coronavirus has taught us anything is that if we had to be 
locked up with our family for 3,000 years, I'd probably have a big knife log sitting out too, you know? Yeah, and, and a cabinet with perhaps a head or two uh, on the right. shelves. And, and right, you know, he right. asks about what's in that cabinet. And I guess I'm just assuming there's some sort of human trophies. I mean, we see, I think, at least two heads in there. That Well, he says how they used to, like, sacrifice themselves to us. And he's looking. And so the, the one head looks very much like the bog people that uh, they found in uh, they find Ireland. I can't remember. But there were people who were or maybe it was in North, actually it was in Northern Europe. They, well, they, I mean, they've, they found these, you know, corpses everywhere, but you know, uh, people who were uh, sacrificed, you could tell because I remember the one guy is like his hands were and feet were tied and they slit his throat and then they dump him in this bog with a bunch of peat and they're like completely preserved the whole time. And they find them later and they realize that well, all these people were human sacrifices so I think he kind of like wistfully looks at it, like, yeah, I remember the good old days when they they just take people and slit their throats and throw them in the bog just for us. Dang, I miss that, you know? <laughs> now, the last thing I want to bring up about uh, Fred's feedback, he mentions when Magna puts his hand through the roof. And there are a couple of things because it seems to me it was implied in an earlier episode that he has a bad temper. And that, mm-hmm. that that was something even before his transformation into right. Thor. So and we haven't really seen that though, we that haven't. much, except for this punching the, the, the ceiling. Right. And I wonder whether that's going to be a factor as he comes into his God of Thunder powers, the inability to really control that temper, or maybe that will be what really defines him, is that... You know, his temper is part of his power. That said, I did notice he just put a poster over the hole, and I guess that's going to keep the rain out. There you go. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. anything else about that's Fred's true. feedback you want to Well, just that I think mythologically, um, Thor is kind of renowned for being a hothead and uh, making very rash and poor decisions. So that would be kind of in line with um, the, the mythology that we have of Thor. Okay. All right. Now, you know, you mentioned, uh, that you like this episode. What, what do you think in grade? Cause I'm thinking, you know, I, I want to go B plus. I, you know, there were so many great lines and scenes in the Udall family that I want to go B plus. I, I'm not going a minus. Right. I, I was going to go B with this one. Okay. Um, and like I said, just, I just feel like I mean I get it cuz you know they're they're basically setting everything up for the big you know conflict at the end. Vidar versus Manya, you know it's coming. So or or at least the Udals versus Manya. So I get that they're setting that up, but I just feel like they bring us to this point where you're you know you finally have got Manya to a point where he is now starting to be able to utilize his powers. He saw himself as Thor. He pretty much knows who he is, but he still goes running back to his mother like, I don't know what's happening. You know, it's just like when he should be grabbing a hammer and slaying his enemies. Well, you know, you wonder whether that will be the catalyst. I mean, is it 
fair to have four against one? Because, you know, you mentioned Vidar going one-on-one against him, but why wouldn't it be Saxa? Why wouldn't it be Fior? Um, right. I mean, I think he seems to be the likely candidate because he's so motivated to, to go out and do it, but so is Saxa. I wonder, though, whether the four-on-one or two-on-one nature of what we might see is what will spur Loritz to become Loki and defend his brother. Good point. Could be. So, anyway, uh, well, this is really unique because neither of us have seen the sixth episode yet, right? Correct. I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't either. I, I think Fred has seen it already. I I do believe he he mentioned in a post that he's he's gotten that uh out of the way, but he hasn't tipped us off to anything yet. But uh yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I, I think we feel pretty good about this series at this point. We sure. know there's a season yeah. two big showdown next week. So we'll go ahead and leave it there. That'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Ragnarok, Impulse, Dark, anything else going on in genre TV. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already and get into the discussions there. If you want to send us an email, the address is sci-fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. If you want to record an audio clip the way Fred does, just do it yourself. Attach it as an MP3 and send it our way. We'll be back next time to conclude our discussion of the Norwegian Netflix fantasy series Ragnarok. But until then, you know, unfortunately, one of the unfortunate uh, side effects of being kind of isolating quarantine during this whole time is just really I just love to just sit on the couch watching American TV shows and eating candy. <laughs>